Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We want to be all about Jesus here at Ivy as a community and as individuals, not just because we think Christmas is all about Jesus amidst all the other commercials and inconsequentials it's become about, but because we want our lives to be all about Jesus amidst all the other concerns and idols that we can make our lives about. And we want the church to be all about Jesus amidst all the other causes and issues that churches often end up making it about. Because We believe that God has a plan for saving the world from itself for himself. And that plan is all about Jesus. We've looked through scriptures and seen that there are many names and titles in the Bible, either that people gave to Jesus or that he took for himself so that we'd know who he really is. We can look at some of those. And today we're going to look at one in John's gospel, which says that Jesus is the Word of God. And he says here, the Word became flesh, John 1, 14. One of my favourite songs is by a songwriter called Michael Card, The Final Word. It starts like this. You and me, we use so very many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation and then so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby who would die to make it mine. The incarnation is a theological word, of course, to describe what happened that first Christmas. It literally means the enfleshing. And it's The first picture of that might come to mind for you of the typical Christmas card scene of the baby in Bethlehem. And I wonder actually whether we're going to get less Christmas cards this year than we've got other years. Apparently the average number given and received in the UK right now is 17 cards. But even with that number dropping each year, the Royal Mail estimate they'll handle about 150 million cards and a billion will be thrown away afterwards, which is 33 million trees. So while I love Christmas cards, maybe it's good to think about that. And the ones that we tend to get, because I lead a church, are on average more Christian than other people might get with pictures of shepherds and stars and wise men and angels all over them. And have you noticed how less schools seem to do nativities this year? Though... Here at Ivy, we've got plans for various ways we're going to do nativities, including our big nativity services on the 19th of December with a very special surprise that you don't want to miss. And we'd love it if you come wherever you go, dressed as a nativity character or even your favourite farmyard animal if you want to. You might wonder if the Christmas story could even be told without those familiar elements. What would the Christmas story be with no stable or manger, no Joseph or Mary, no Bethlehem shepherds, angels or star? Well, it would be what the Apostle John writes here when he tells the Christmas story in what theologians call the prologue, the beginning of the fourth gospel. It says this, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the nativity according to John. No Mary, no manger, no stable, shepherds or star. So if you think you can't tell a story without those features, you're wrong because that's exactly what John does right here. It's the same story from a totally different camera angle, the widest lens imaginable to give the biggest possible picture. It's not close up on Bethlehem, it's further out beyond the star. It's the story of the one who made the stars coming down to earth. And the last line sums up Christmas in just four words, whether in English or Greek. Look again at verse 14. Four words in English, four words in Greek, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. That, in four little words, is the greatest story ever told. The real reason to celebrate Christmas. Not because of Mary and Magi and Gabriel and Joseph. They all play their parts too, of course. But the real miracle and message of the manger is the Word became flesh. The Apostle John said here that he was an eyewitness to Jesus' life, but he could never include all of the wonderful things that Jesus did. Instead, he wrote down the truth, the reality of what he knew and saw and touched so that people like you and me could also believe. That's why we give out Gospels of John here at Ivy. I've personally given loads of these away to people I meet because everybody needs to know the truth about Jesus Christ. Whatever you may have thought or been taught before about him, John, as a witness, wants to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He actually mentions the word truth 25 times in his gospel and 20 times further than that in his epistles, which are the letters later on in the New Testament that come from him. That's truth 45 times. And 80 times he talks about love. But how do we connect to that love and that truth that are found in Jesus Christ? Well, 100 times in this gospel alone, he uses the word believe. Believe. The word in the original language here means not just believe in your head, but trust, know in your heart. Live like you know the truth. Love like you know the love of God is for you and for everyone. Believe the truth to receive the love that changes lives and everything forever. What's the truth that he says here will set you free? That the creator has become part of his creation. Fully God and fully man. That's John's message. The eternal God himself has become human. The infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, true and living God has stepped out of eternity into time and become a human. Why? To save us from ourselves and from sin and death and judgment for our sins because we couldn't live without it. And to save us for himself forever because he would not live without us. That's what it means that the Word became flesh. God became human so we could see and know His grace and truth, He said. I don't know if you've read much of the Bible already. Maybe like some people, I know, you you didn't really know where to start. So you thought, well, I'll start at the beginning to make sense of it. But a lot of people who start in Genesis, like any other book, 
kind of lose the plot and give up before long because it doesn't tie together for them. It's a long way until you get to Jesus as well. So it can be a bit of a struggle, even though like any other great book, it starts out brilliantly. It says in Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. But the problem with beginning at the beginning like that is that's not actually really the beginning. It's just the beginning of our story of life on earth. It's not the, it's not the big story, not the whole story. Even though it seems huge to us, it's a limited perspective, however big your telescope, because you're starting looking at it from the earth. And the other gospels start with the beginning of Jesus's life or ministry here. But John starts out way before that. And the words sound very similar, don't they? But what he wants us to know here reaches back even before the beginning of Jesus' life on earth or the beginning of how life started on earth. Professor Brian Cox on TV keeps saying they'll soon find out how it all began. Then it's like we'll know everything. But just because you think you can explain something doesn't mean you really understand it. John wants us to know that Christ was there before the beginning of the universe. That's that what really happened is not just a, a figure of speech or, or a fable, but it really happened that, and it didn't start with once upon a time, but more once before time. In the beginning was the Word already in existence, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. He's saying here, before the beginning began, the word was. Other religions and cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons want us to see Jesus as less than God. But John wants us to know and believe the truth about who Jesus is, to see that he eternally pre-existed as God the Son, that he, the uncreated, created absolutely everything. He wasn't part of time and space until he was conceived an embryo growing in Mary's womb. Before that, before everything, Christ coexisted with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as one God because theos en ho logos, literally in the Greek, four words again, God was the word. And the way that this is written, it's like underlining the God part of that sentence. The story of Christ, you see, didn't start in Bethlehem. The life of Jesus of Nazareth, who was called the son of Joseph, miraculously started there, but as the son of God, he had no beginning. There was never a time when he wasn't. In the beginning, Christ was the beginner, the word. The word was God. The logos in the original Greek, in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. Now, many of the people reading his gospel would not be Jewish or Hebrew in their thinking. They were like us, they were Gentiles. And even now here in the West, we're still Greek in our thinking and philosophy. Heraclitus, Aristotle, the Stoics saw the Logos as a creative but impersonal spirit, like the original God, the ground of reality that made creation have order and structure. And then John comes to them and says, you know that Logos that you think you know about? I knew him, I know him, you can know him too. And he's not impersonal, he's God in person and he loves me and he loves you. He's the Word and the Word has a name and the name is Jesus. In Matthew chapter one, Angel appears in a dream to Joseph who's trying to figure out how the young woman meant to be his wife is pregnant already and it's got nothing to do with him. 
but he's told not to be afraid because she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But then the next line says this, that it fulfills the prophecy written hundreds of years before in the Old Testament that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who is Jesus? How will he save us from our sins? He's not, he's not a super baby. He's not just a beautiful sign of innocence or peace or hope so we can all join hands and sing carols whatever we want to believe like I heard somebody on the radio preach the other day. No, that sounds nice, it's just not true. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life because he is God with us. He's the word who's become flesh. We needed that to happen to save us. That's the foundation of true Christianity, that the author became the hero, the director became the leading man. And we only find our place and can play our part when we discover he's the lead and not us. Remember, Matthew, Mark and Luke give us Earth's perspective about the birth and subsequent events of his life and death and resurrection, the historical perspective. But John wants us to get way higher so we can see from a heavenly perspective and that's why you won't find in what he writes anything there about the baptism or the birth or the temptation travels or transfiguration of Christ. There's less focus on what he did, way more emphasis on who he is. Why? Well, he's actually totally upfront about it. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I'm writing this so that you might believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing or by believing, you might have salvation in his name. Because you know what? You could believe that a man called Jesus existed 2,000 years ago. That won't save you. It takes no faith at all. It's such a matter of historical fact. You'd be an imbecile to suggest otherwise. You don't get saved by knowing Jesus was born in Bethlehem or that he taught as a rabbi around Israel or, or by believing he was falsely accused and betrayed and became one of countless thousands that the Romans nailed to a cross. But John says that he wrote this so that you and I can be saved by believing... Remember, 100 times he stresses this. Believe in what? The truth, in the sense of the ultimate reality, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You don't get salvation by believing Jesus is a good man or a prophet, making him your life coach or example that you aspire to emulate. You don't get salvation even by believing that he was a Christ, like the New Ages say, well, oh, Buddha was a Christ, he was an ascended master, and my guru is a Christ, and I'm a Christ, and you're a Christ. No. I'm not, you're not, they're not. He is, and he was, and he ever shall be. The Christ, because he is the only begotten Son of God. And there is no other name given by which we can be saved. Now, John goes on to write about events that he witnessed, of course. The, the message that he heard, the miracles that he saw, he calls them signs pointing to who Jesus is. He lists seven of them, saying people believed when they saw who the sign was pointing to. They saw the word. It's like you're doing a, doing a crossword puzzle. You're trying to figure it out and it, and it won't come and, and you're, you're scribbling letters down maybe at the sides. You're trying to fill the gaps, but you can't quite make it out. Even with the clue, you still haven't got a clue. And then it happens. You see the word and you're like, ah. And you know, from then on, it's obvious, isn't it? The word, you, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee the word. Now, John probably knew of or knew Jesus or had heard of him for much of his life. He grew up in the same area. He heard that Jesus had become a rabbi, but he was following John the Baptist at first. 
He saw Jesus one day being baptised and he was intrigued and he followed. But then at some point, and I don't know how many signs pointing that way that it took him, or maybe he only ever saw it looking back. It, it, I don't know, it could have been after seeing Jesus turn water into wine or making a paralysed man walk or a blind man see, or when Jesus fed thousands. I don't know when it was, but we do know at some point John saw. He's like, I knew his name, but now I know. He's the word. It's like, again, you see it, and now you can't unsee it, and you, and you want everybody else to see it too. That's why he's telling us what he's seen. That the word who made the world became like us to save it. The infinite immortal became an infant, took on our frail mortality so that we could live forever with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen it too. The kind of seeing that really is believing. I can't unsee it. Whatever else happens, not just as a principle, it's personal. When you see who Christ is, not just Jesus, which you might think is wonderful enough, but that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Word become flesh to make his dwelling with us. Shall we pray? Lord, our minds can't grasp these eternal truths. A God small enough to understand fully would not be worthy of our worship. And yet we remember now as we approach Christmas that you who made the stars were laid in a manger beneath one. We wonder that you, God's final word, learn to speak. Learn to speak our language so that we can hear you call us now and we can say yes to your call to love you too. Thank you, Father, that you promise life and light and love to everybody who turns from every kind of darkness and sin and just believes the Son that you sent to save us. Please help us to see so that we can never unsee and help us to spread the word to the world you love so much. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, our eternal Saviour, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.